Hello and welcome to today's Born Human podcast. As ever, it is another privileged day for me to introduce to you our guest today, Mr. Ben Akers. Ben is someone who I came to meet a few years ago through a documentary he made called Steve, which looked at male mental health and male suicide. Um, Sounds a pretty heavy subject, right? But actually, it was a really proactive and productive documentary that is really making a difference. And the outcomes from that, Ben has now set up a charity which is called Talk Club and he's also making a new film called Our Kids, Our Lives which is my main reason for having him on the podcast today. Apart from the fact that he's a really interesting guy, he also has three children and he's very interested in looking at now kids' mental health and kind of what we can do with that going forward. So I hope you enjoy this as much as I do. He's a really lovely guy and this is a wonderful hour of my life. So. Sit back, relax, and take it away. Welcome to today's Born Human podcast. Today I am privileged to be joined by someone that I was introduced to a little while ago, Ben Akers. So Ben is someone that I came across through his amazing film, The Steve Documentary, which we'll talk about a bit on the podcast Um but yeah, so today we're talking about his family and his journey in parenthood. So welcome to today's podcast, Ben. Thanks for coming along. Well, thank, thanks for coming all the way over to Bristol to see me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Get us a tour past Ashton Gate and away. It's brilliant. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so uh, Ben and I met through Steve and kind of that, that sort of thing, but we've come to sort of know each other better through Talk Club and that kind of thing. But you are a proud parent of uh, little monsters as well, right? So, yeah, yeah. I've got, I've got three. I've got a... Uh, I've got a three-year-old, uh, a six-year-old, and she's just my biggest has just turned nine as of uh, what ten days ago or something. Regular gaps, yeah, two and a half years. So you you should be doing another one now, right? No, definitely not. <laughs> l- l- luckily, the NHS helped me out on that one. So. <laughs> it's not irreversible, apparently. <laughs> I've got a friend of mine who's going through that at the moment, and he said. She was agreed that at three, that was the end of it. And then she, uh, his wife said, can we just have one more? And he's like, no, 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 I agreed. The NHS did its job. We're not going back there kind of thing. But So, yeah, so three kids. And how, uh, so they're at sort of primary, they're all at, not all at school yet. No, the little one is at, at P-school, not preschool, because she, she hasn't nailed her R's yet. Uh, P-school. Uh, and the other two, yeah, are just, uh, just around the corner of Ashton Gate. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And how... Um, so you live in Bristol. Have you, were you always in Bristol when you had your kids? Have you been there since you no, started? No, so so uh, my eldest was born in Sydney. Um, and the middle one was born in Warrington. So we, we lived in Sydney for six years. And then we came back and we lived in just outside Manchester. Um, and he was born in he was born in Warrington. And uh, the little one is a proud Bristolian. So we sort of... Uh, so they're, they're, it's interesting with their characters. Like the, the eldest is... It sort of thinks that she's... Um, uh, she lives lives by the sea and sort of the hair's going and everything like that. The the middle one, the boy, my boy, runs into brick walls and expects them to move. And um and the the little one is the cheekiest and the, probably the, probably going to be the, the the one that's going to make me the money. But um, yeah. but she yeah she's sort of like she's more uh yeah she's only three but she's she's she runs the place really yeah yeah. And did you always plan on having three? Is that always your thing? I don't know if I I don't know if I planned it. I, I like big families. I come from three. Um, I'm the middle one uh, with two sisters, um, and I did. I do like. 
I do like having lots of noise around me. I do like having. I mean, I, I like it now because it's quiet. But uh, but I do I do like I I love being a dad. I do love being a dad. It's full on, but I love being a dad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? I mean, I, yeah. It's uh, it's a. T- I guess nothing in life's worth having if it's not worth working hard for. If you know what I mean. And the kids certainly make you work for it, don't they? Yeah, I, I think the thing is we we sort of. I I always I always try and make life as difficult as for myself as possible and try and push as much as I can and I think even with even with kids it was a lot easier to stop at two um but with three like we one of my friends is just about to have three and I sort of said like you you just it just changes the dynamic of everything you just sort of feel like, apart from um, am I allowed to swear on this you can thing? do whatever you apart like. from having as, as when I told my friends as like I'm gonna have three because oh, I gotta buy a shit car now or a shitter <laughs> car now um but it's uh, I found very much like that the three for me was a complete thing. It's just like we're a little gang. And um, and I, th- I think it's really hard now with parenting because I think there's so much pressure that you put on like, like I've got friends who've just got one and have fought very hard to have one. Um, like with IVF and sort of stuff like that, and then and then people who have decided that their lot is two, and that's great as well, and that's good for them. But there was no way that I was only going to have two, yeah, or, or even one if we were allowed, if if if, if biology was going to let us happen, yeah, yeah. So we feel very lucky, but also, um, but also, I'm I'm sort of greedy for life. I like I like life, and um, and having three kids is definitely greedy <laughs> so. yeah well, i don't know i mean it's uh it's amazing like if you if you're prepared to dedicate the time to i'm finished at two like i'm, I'm done at two <laughs> i figure i've got there's two pairs of hands there's two of us there's two of them that feels like a, a sweet number i'm a maths man so like you know that all adds up for me it's a square it's sort of all these sorts of things oh no i know we're outnumbered I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm taking the three of them to, to to drop them all off this morning because my, my wife left at half seven so I've got I've got I've got the little one on my on on my, my shoulders. I've got one there and one there, and I'm, we're walking along sort of quite thin things. I'm banging them off, <laughs> quite thin paths. I'm banging them off cars, banging them <laughs> off bins. It's sort of like yeah, it's um it's definitely a sight. But um, but yeah, it's it it's one of these things, especially for me. I I suddenly got my purpose. I saw I suddenly realised why I was actually on the planet when I had my when when I had my eldest. When I had my kid in, in when we had a in um, in Sydney, and I knew it was going to happen. I knew it was sort of going to be that moment of, um, like I wanted kids, but suddenly you realise like it was just like proper penny drop. Going, like, ah, yeah, that's why you're here, Ben. Yeah. And and I think that that and that obviously takes a lot of responsibility, but but very much that taking that everything else on and, and being. Um, I mean, I, I completely reshaped my life since I had kids. Yeah, I had to. So yeah, and did you? So how long were you in Sydney for? When was it? All, you were presumably it was planned having kids, uh, having your first kind of thing. Or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we so so. I mean, we we went. Uh, we were in Sydney for six years. Um, we got married back here after two, um, and then we had uh, my my uh, my oldest at. Again, we we left just before she was two, so it was probably a two two two. Yeah. And then um and we came back here just before she was two and 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 that was the thing, like we landed here, we've been back for been back for ten days and um and then that's when I found out Steve took his life. Yeah. So it was sort of like very like whoa, 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 emotional stuff. Um but yeah, it was it was a very sort of it was a very much 
planned in as much as you can plan these things. Yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? How that kind of I don't know I don't know about you, and obviously it's your experience of it. And I know we've spoken before, as and I lost one of my childhood friends to it as well. And there's this weird kind of sense of like trying to make peace with kind of what's happened in terms of losing someone, and when a baby comes into the equation at the same time, it feels kind of almost. I don't know, like some sort of saviour almost of like, well, you know, that's a terrible thing, but there is an, there's an amazing life still being born, if mm. you know what I mean. And there's some sort of salvation in that, I think. Mm. I certainly, I was pretty young when that happened to me. But um, how did you, I mean, Steve was obviously, you were close when you were kids kind of thing and that, but, um, and obviously the documentary is amazing in terms of what it's done for changing people's outlooks. And um, But how did that, what sort of settled you on a path of working out that you needed to do, Steve? What was it that got you to that point? Well, I mean, we, when we came back, I, I sort of like I was, um, I mean, I was in, I, we'd been in Sydney. Steve Steve and um, his wife and his two kids were in Canada. And I, I'd, I'd not met them. I'd not met his wife. I'd not met his kids. I only met his wife at his funeral. Yeah. And and um, and actually, Steve's son is her. His birthday is the same age as my eldest, and it's her same birthday. And it's just like so. It's all really weird inside all these coincidences. Yeah. But I, I mean, I, I, it took me a while. I sort of like I did three years of trying to sort of a lot of therapy and trying to work out what I needed to do. And when I when when we were. When I was in Sydney, I used to run in. I was in big advertising companies and sort of stuff like that, and I'd be leaving early in the morning and back late, back late at night. And and when we had one, you try to you try to sort of fit your life um, them into your life, right? Yeah. That's what you try and do. You sort of like you go, okay, well, I'm going to take them to the childminder here, and then you will pick them up here, and we will pick them up there, and you try and reshape your life. And then when you have when when we came back and we wanted obviously. Uh, we wanted another visit from the stork and you sort of like you you realize when you have two you've got to change your life to fit them now yeah yeah right and and i try to sort of explain this to sort of mates when sort of like who've got who, who are having that making that jump between one and uh, zero and one and one and two and even two and three and i sort of said the biggest leap is zero and one yeah because you're trying to hold on for me it was always just trying to hold on to your previous life yeah yeah and then when you have between two and three uh, between between sort of one and two like when you have two, you. My friend said to me, "No, that spare time you've got." And when you've got one, you go, "I've got no spare time." You yeah. go, no, no, going to the toilet on your own is spare time. Yeah. Right. And then you suddenly, all that spare time has just disappeared. Yeah. And then when you have three, look, you're on the floor being kicked. You might as well just stay there. And it's sort of like it is. It's literally. It's it's the with three there is just nothing. I mean, like even the shower today, like this morning, I, I like there was there was uh, my wife walks in. The, the three kids are in there the cat strolls in and we've got a tiny bathroom and I'm trying to have a shower here and it's like but that's the thing when it happens with time and and I think what happened with me was sort of with with that evolution I mean Steve and me is really interesting because because I I gravitated towards his family very much so yeah. so my family and these things and their family is such a loving family um and he was he developed over there, as a, so he'd grown into a father. We'd never seen each other as fathers. Yeah. It was really, really interesting, and um, and we were aiming to sort of catch up and stuff like that. But but we never got because he's a, he was a big Man United fan. I was living in Manchester. I'd sorted out some tickets, um, and he was going to come up and see me. But but we never we never got to that. Never stage. happened. Never got to that stage. So I sort of spent. So as I say, I spent three years trying to do that, and then it, and it was very much of three months, three years of trying to 
work out my feelings towards all this because I'd never been confronted with suicide before. Yeah. Um, and and then got to a point where we were actually probably the first time I'd switched off in three years. We were I was in a hammock in my uh, uh, in in France and I was flicking through a magazine that I picked up from like a Sunday Sup magazine. Yeah. And I'd, I'd sort of like and I read in this magazine that that. Um, men of my age watch sport and documentaries yeah. and I was like well, okay that's what I need to do I need to sort of like I need to make a film and um, and I'd read I read earlier in that magazine I'd read earlier in that magazine that, that suicide was the biggest killer of men under 45 at that stage yeah. and it was like this magazine I really want to find it like this magazine was almost like the, that turning point in my in my life because it's actually where we've got to now with Talk Club now it's a charity and and the amount of men we're helping this magazine actually kicked me to sort of go, okay, you need to do something with your grief. You need to take what you, the skills that you've, the, the little skills you've got and try and sort of channel them into, into, into this something. So that was where, that was that moment of that in that hammock was the moment that sort of came about. And I asked my wife, I sort of said to her, well, I didn't ask her. I said, said to her, I need to make a film about Steve. And she said, I don't want you to. And I was like, I think I need to. And she goes, I, I think it'll be a major mistake. I don't want you to because I think it'll bring up too many bad feelings. It'll, you know, I don't think you're emotionally strong enough. And I was like, okay, I'm going to dial up my therapy. I need to. Yeah. And it was it was a tough, tough thing. Tough, one of the toughest things I've ever done. But I look back on it and I'm very proud of what we achieved. Yeah. And I feel like we, we. I mean, people ask me how what would Steve make of it? He'd bloody hate it. He'd sort of like he'd. he'd he was quite a shy bloke, and he'd hate the idea of a big, a big poster of him, of his face, and sort of his name. But that was his choice when he decided, when when he pushed into this thing, and he uh, these things unfolded, and and he, he left us. Um, he he left he left me to, to 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 hero him. Yeah, so, make some sense of it. And, yeah, and do something with it. And yeah, I think there's no, you know. What, bad things happen in the world and that it is tragic and it's terrible but if you can't sort of do something with it to make something positive out of it then it just becomes a tragedy and nothing else right whereas yeah. actually from the ashes of all of that grief and sadness comes something really great for other men which is unfortunately doesn't change anything for steve but it does change the outcomes of others right and that's incredible right how does it sort of what has it done for your how does it change your outlook on your own kids? And I guess because you were childhood friends as well, right? And so what was your childhood like and what was that? You know what I mean? There's like a, your own childhood. And as parents, we all go through this that sense of like, well, when I was a kid, this is what I kind of went through. Mm. I want more of this, less of that. And then obviously, so you've had those experiences, but then as a parent now, you sort of think a bit differently. Yeah, I mean, well, one of the reasons why me and Steve became friends was because of his family. And it was, I mean, my, my family, like my, my dad, my dad was mentally ill when I was younger. He was sort of schizophrenic and we were in a, we were in a, um, we were in a battered, uh, wives and child hostel and uh, refuge. And sort of, so, so very much, I mean, I, I didn't know any different. Do you know what I mean? This was yeah. my childhood. Like my mum's this and my dad's this and everything's the way it is. But but my dad was mentally ill and he got committed and everything like that. And it was it was a lot a hell of a lot of strain on my mum. And so then sort of like through my primary school, what they I had like I look back on it and I had a very unstable way of looking at uh, everything was quite unstable. But my mum did her best to stabilise stuff. And then my teens were very much 
me trying to find, as every teenager is, trying to find your own space. But it was a very, it was a very confusing area because of what had happened at home and my stepdad sort of coming in. And my stepdad's a great, great influence in my life, but he's, but he's sort of a very different character to me and my, um, and he's, he's sort of, he's softening his older years, but he was, he was, he was quite a cold person to start with. Yeah. Um. But, but Grandpa Steve is a very, he's a, he's a lot more, he's a lot more warmer now than he was when we were growing up, and. Um, and I think because Steve's family is proper sort of the earth, lovely working class family, and you walk in and everyone just hugs you and it's just all over you like a like a um, uh, like glue. Do you know what I mean? It's just you can't escape. Yeah. Um, and they are like that now. Even with my kids now, when we go down to see them in the south coast, I mean, literally, my wife Claire hasn't like doesn't know them straight away. It's hugging and then like, <laughs> they can't escape and the Yates is just all over you. And and I spent most of my most of my sort of my from sort of eleven to to sort of I'd say twenty one, like I was called the lodger. I was there all the time. Yeah. And and I was a second I was a second son. I went on holiday with them. I yeah. went on holiday with them more than I went on holiday with my own family. Yeah. And um and it was it was interesting in sort of like the way that that all panned out because in theory, if you were looking at the thing like I'm the one who should be sort of like having the mental health issues. Yeah. But what was happening was that sort of because, because almost Steve was so having, and not saying I didn't have my own mental health issues, but sort of like, but, but, but Steve, Steve had came from such a loving background that, that there was lots of other things going on that he, he didn't feel because he came from that world where, where you don't talk about your feelings. Yeah. Um, and those things manifested in, in sort of when he became a father, when he became a father was, was when talking to his wife was when things started changing because he didn't know, he didn't know how to cope. He didn't know how to handle these things. And, mm. and it's hard. It's really, really hard. And, um, and I talk a lot to blokes now who are becoming fathers for the first time or stress or stuff like that. Um, of, of those, of those sort of like moments of, of rejection and like and use and sort of stuff like that and, yeah and i think that those were the things that if i'd have if i'd have if i'd have if if i could have started talk club 10 years ago or 10 years before steve died you I mean it'd be seven years this friday yeah um if i can if i could sort of talk if i could have started talk club 15 years ago um then he would be he would still be with us because i think he just needed that outlay he just needed to be able to sort of talk about i don't know what to do with this i don't know what to do with that yeah and um but i don't think we did have the skills in those days no i mean generationally it's changed enormously which i think is obviously for the better but there's still a long way to go with it but it's interesting what you say there like as an observer kind of seeing your situation being really quite complicated growing up and and the world at large if they were given your facts and said actually we need to look after this kid's mental health because there's a lot going on for him. And you know, I guess for Steve, coming from outwardly what looks like a really healthy place, loving family, all those kind of things, you're kind of, as friends, you're kind of being pulled into this bubble but still getting support potentially because you know there's stuff going on for you. But for him, it's kind of like, well, I don't know where to go with this mm. stuff because by rights, I've got a really loving family and I always get a hug when I come home and all that kind of stuff. But we're not talking about the important stuff and what does that mean for um yeah where do i go with that yeah. kind of thing and i think the thing is as well i mean like with i mean when, when like i send i send les steve's dad a father's day card each year and um 
and I sent him this note in in it, and I, I did it at the same time. I sent my stepdad a, a a letter and sort of told him I loved him, right? Because I don't think blokes tell blokes they love them enough, yeah. right? And I told Les that I loved him, and I told him why I loved him, and a lot of the way that I am silly with my kids was because because of Les. Do you know what I mean? The the way that Les was silly with us, with me and Steve and and Steve's sister Claire. I'd see that and I'd go, that's that's how you should act as a father. Yeah. And I and I have taken a lot of those things on because there was my father figure was quite strange when I was growing up. There was sort of there was there was my, my stepdad who was who who was trying trying to fit into this this family. And then my dad who was who was ill and never never really there. And and it was so it's always a really bizarre sort of ways these things get together and it's, and it's so interesting how they both reacted to the to, to to me writing this letter yeah my stepdad jumps on a plane and comes over and sort of like he never doesn't he's never really owned a relationship with my my grandkid uh, his grandkids even though they know calling grandpa steve yeah but he, he always comes over with my mum so he jumps on a plane and comes over and sees us and he stays hangs out with us for a weekend we have a hug we have a good talk and stuff like that yeah Les, got your letter, cheers, right? And it's sort of like, and and I know from Steve's sister that sort of like, that he was really thankful for it and he was sort of like, and there was a little tear and stuff. Yeah. But, but even with then, like he, I was I was pouring my heart out. I was being vulnerable. I was saying about all these things that were important to me. And Les, even though I know they're important to him, wouldn't break over that barrier. and. Yeah. And it's really hard with something like suicide is especially is that the parents just take on all this blame and all this thing and it's nothing to do with them. It's the so it's to do with society and the way that they were treated, that they are only ever doing their best and sort of like and everyone's only ever doing their best. So it was but Les and Lowell always blame themselves. They always will do. There's nothing more I can say, no one anything else can anyone can say yeah. about about what happened. But it's one of these things where you go, we we need to be all a society now with our kids is to try and sort of is to try and teach them that that it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to to talk about how you're feeling. You don't have to keep sort of keep that stiff upper lip. You don't have to bottle it up. You don't have to sort of suck it up. Yeah. I mean, like I I, I used to hear like I used to hear sort of like football all the time. Take a cement pill, harden the f up. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of like because because that's the way this sort of that is how you deal with emotion. That's yeah. how you sort of like you 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 don't you don't say that bothers me. And that's one thing that I've learned a lot in the past three years since finishing Steve the film and 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 creating Talk Club is that does my wife's head in, but I'm sort of like I'm uncomfortable with this. Yeah, I'm going to talk about this now, and and I'm feeling vulnerable now, and I'm 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 not feeling I'm feeling flat now. And she's like, she goes to me the other day, I fucking liked it more when you kept everything to yourself, <laughs> and it's like, but it's but but the thing is, you go like, no, I'm I like, and the way that talk club works is all about numbers. How are you out of ten? Yeah. So I do that every single morning. I'll go okay. I'm a five now, and how do I get myself to a six? I'm going to go. I'm going to go to the gym. Yeah. I'm going to reward myself and go to the gym, or I'm going to ring someone positive, or I'm going to put on some nice music and I because I'm going to self look after myself which yeah. I, I didn't know how to do any of that before yeah and that's what I'm trying to teach with my kids I like even with my my eldest this morning she had a bit of a rough day yesterday so this morning how, what number are you out of 10 let's yeah. talk about how what happened yesterday how can you take things differently today how can you sort of not let that over that 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 slight bullying thing that I've interpreted here yeah overrun today yeah and Maybe my parents did do that, but I don't remember those conversations. I don't think it was a thing, was it? Like no. Certainly, there, I imagine there were pockets of people that did, 
uh, that had that emotional intelligence. But also, even if you had the emotional intelligence, it wasn't society telling you this is the right thing to do. Because it's kind of like, there's that old sort of like saying of nip, nip things in the bud, right? Get it early. And mm. the problem with mental health is that if you don't deal with all the little things that go with it, if you don't catch them early, then they become bigger and bigger problems. And yeah. then, you know, what starts out needing a pair of prunes to take down, you know, becomes a chainsaw, then becomes a digger. Do you know what I mean? And then it's like, I can't, how do I cope with that? And I can't drive a digger. So yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, it, where's that? This is, this is the thing. I mean, that's the reason why we talk about mental fitness, right? Talk Club is all about mental fitness because because when I, in the film, when I talked to uh, a, a rugby player called uh, Daniel Sculthorpe, he said to me, he he introduced me to that idea, and I suddenly it was like boom, like light bulb goes on. Because when you talk, especially with men, when you talk to about them about mental health, we don't know what the fuck that means. Yeah, right. That, like that that sort of like automatically people go mental health. You go to the negative. You go to mental. You 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 hear mental health, but you but um, someone says mental health, you hear mental illness. Yeah, yeah. Right, and but then when you compare you compare you put fitness there and you compare it to physical fitness yeah. and you go ah so it's a scale and if it's a scale it doesn't happen to me i can change it yeah and and i think that sort of i mean my mum after everything that happened with my dad my mum reacted in in her way and she became she became a counselor she became yeah. a therapist and she's the reason why i can do all these things she's the reason why i was able to talk because my relationship with my mum has always been so open that if I if I'm overwhelmed by anything, I'll just get straight on the phone to her. And I've got I've got I've got a world class counsellor on, on on speed dial twenty four hours a day. Yeah, and I think that's the reason why I can take on so many of these emotional things and be a lot more open with that. But especially over the past three years, taking these things that I've learned throughout my twenties and thirties, and now sort of like into my forties and going. Okay, well, you can take all those skills and mash them all together, and now you can start helping others, mm. which I didn't think that I'd ever be able to do. I didn't think, or I didn't think I needed to do. Yeah, and um, and I think that's what's been really interesting about my personal journey for um, since everything that's happened with Steve, and even even since coming to Bristol, because when we came to Bristol, I. I used to write, as I say, I used to be in big advertising agencies living living these sort of bizarre things of out from seven till seven uh, or even later sometimes. And I sort of went, well, I don't want to be one of those fathers. I want to, I want, I want, I need to build my world around walking my daughter to school. Yeah. That was literally what my goal was. How do I build my world around walking my daughter to school? So I, so I started my own business and I started all these other things that we were doing being slightly more entrepreneurial about the way that you you attack your time, but that was my goal. That was my one line. I want to walk my daughter to school. Yeah. And um, because I never got walked to school, I never sort of like. I mean, I did right at the beginning when I was tiny, but but quite a lot of the time it was it was a very much you go off and do your things and people's people's sort of money comes in, work comes in. Yeah. And it's really, really hard for parents. And I hear it all the time with sort of like, I talk to, talk, so I see my mates, other dads, and they're stressed and they're on the phone and they're walking the kids in and they're sort of like, it's an inconvenience to them. Yeah. And it's really, really hard because you, you need to keep the lights on. Yeah. Um, you need to pay the mortgage, but you also, you also need to be able to balance that, that relationship with yourself. I mean, like I don't, 
I, I, I want my I want to be part of my kids' childhood. Yeah. Because they're going to get to their teens and they're not going to want to be anywhere near me. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, and then they'll come back in their twenties because that's what I did. Yeah. Um. But but I sort of like to me it was very very important to actually just move my life around around my children and to have that and that's probably where we got the space to have the third was that very much of um i needed i needed to get what i i needed to keep the lights on but i needed to do these other purpose things but i needed to be in control of all that so that i could walk my daughter to school yeah yeah so you can choose right yeah it's such a weird thing that like work is it's such a massive factor in mental health, I think, and it's so underrepresented because it's just like taken as a given that you have to do it. There's no like, you know, I my previous existence was in the city and I did a long time there. And, you know, I think about the time before I left, there were kind of four years when I was sat at my desk thinking, I don't want to be here, but I don't know what else I do. And at the same time, I'm financially incarcerated because I'm on a good wicket i'm being paid all right i can live the life i want to live but none of it's patching over the cracks that i'm not happy Mm. and the reason i'm not happy i don't enjoy what i do and all the things so then i kind of you know you you have to engineer a path to try and make that happen but it's it takes a lot of courage i think to sort of find your way to be and and it does take finding purpose right like for me it was like when i met my wife it was like okay i've got a driver now I need to make that relationship's really important to me. I want to make that work. How do I make that work? Doesn't involve me living in London anymore. So in which case, maybe I need to rethink my work options. Whereas when you've just got a status quo of like, when I'm living in London, this is where I'm staying. This is where I'm being. Actually, you think small about where your next move might be. It might be like, well, I'd come out of a bank and I go to a consultancy. And it's Mm. like, probably still not going to be that happy there because it's not what I want to be doing potentially. But it, it sort of comes back to this whole sort of sense of self-care and also what we need in life, you know, like picking up the things that we actually need to make us happy. Yeah. And you saying about walking your kids to school, that was exactly the same thing for me. It was like, I'll work it out because I want to be there for my kids mm. and I will never get that chance again. I I was lucky enough to be able to take some time off when my first was born. And I'm, you know, the decision I made at that point was like, I will never get this chance again because he'll never have just been born. He'll never be three months old again. He'll never be six months old again. And so if I'm not working, okay, I'm not working. And that might have some consequences in terms of financials and all that. And I was lucky to be able to engineer that. But at the same time, I'll never be able to replace that time. You cannot always replace work. You're always replaceable to some extent. Well, why I I looked at it was, and I've had, because what I did was I moved from big advertising to to sort of purpose-driven advertising. I went to an ethical ad agency called Public of Everyone in Sydney. And it was the best decision I ever made, right? And it was a brilliant place. I mean, I was under so much pressure running this. This I was unhappy. I was, I'm was. i a creative. I write ads. I sort of talk to people. But all I was doing was in meetings after meetings. And I was like... And what happens is in, in every business, you get pushed up this line. You They throw money at you. And you sort of like... You, you, you get pushed up and pushed up pushed up. And suddenly you realise, where the fuck am I? Yeah. And... And I did. This isn't what I signed up for. I'm an I I I'm I'm a I write things. I'm an ideas person, and now I'm talking to people about about money. That I don't I don't want to do this. Yeah. And and I sort of found I found look this when I went to Republic because we were all young dads. It was so good because we were able to take these things on and be more aware. And we could never work on. We only work on ethical and sustainable projects. So we had to be ethical and sustainable with our people. Yeah. But what I found was amazing was that there was this one moment where 
um, I was chatting away to this creative, uh, this other creative, um, and she's a, like, if she was male, she'd be running any agency in the world, right? She's an amazing creative person, but because she's just had two kids, she had to move these things around, and she wasn't finding stuff. And I sort of said to her, "Look, what's your blocker?" And she goes, "Look, I've got to drop the kids off at school, and I've got to do this." And I go, "Okay, what happens if you start at half nine, you you leave at three, and then you give me a couple of hours in the evening?" Yeah. And she just sort of went to me, you can do that. I go, I can do whatever I bloody well like. Yeah. I want you in my department. I need you creatively in this place. If we can work around you, then we can make this thing work. And she's like, well, let's do that then. Yeah. And obviously I didn't get, I got more than two hours in the evening because she, once the kids are down, she's actually in the space and she was knocking stuff out. Suddenly I started recruiting all these mums yeah. in this same model. And we were getting, we were sort of, we we couldn't compete financially with 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 other agencies because we were working on um, working on sort of more NGO type uh, type clients, but we were we were smashing the workout because we had some such amazing talent that was completely untapped because people weren't weren't working with the system, people yeah. weren't working with the school system, the the nine to three people weren't working with it. Yeah, then move it round. And that's all we did. We moved it around. So that's the, what I always try to do is I was always trying to solve those problems and going, how do I work with great people and trying to find the, those, those, those pockets, if you like. And then when, when we, when we came back here, it was, it was very much of the thing of going, well, I need to be able to work out what, what I need, what I need as a, as a, as a, as a person, as a sort of, as a father. Um, because if you don't, and like, if you don't, then 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 you're not being true to yourself. And I I, I sort of so I flipped it because up until that point, it was always about how many zeros. Yeah. It was almost like well, what pay rise? Or sort of like you you can't I can't go down. I can't go down from that job to that job. Well, that's that's just that's ridiculous. Yeah. So I reversed it. How much money do I need to survive each each month? Yeah. How much do I need? As soon as I had a need moment and I had that need figure, brilliant. I can freelance for three or four days a week, and I've got my uh, three or four days a month, and I've got my need number. Yeah. I've got it. Then I can actually spend all the rest of the time doing things that I want to do. Yeah. And since so the need and want were really interesting for me with my the way that I changed my career and the way I changed my my finances and yeah, I could. I'd we'd all love we'd all love to be earning more money because money means choices. Yeah. Right. But also money means sacrifices for me. Yeah. Right, because basically, if if they're paying you a hundred grand a year, then they've got to be making one hundred and fifty to two hundred grand a year on you. Yeah. Right, and and you're sort of and you've got those things where where those that is that's a that's a um, that's an acquisition. You're sort of, you're you're trading your time and your energy for that amount of money. Yeah. So so I had to take control and. I mean, over the past year, it's been more lively because because there's not much work out there for those type of things. But Talk Club is now a charity, so we're hopefully we're going to be able to sort of make that more sustainable for us. Yeah. But it's been very much of that going like need versus want, and need for me was actually okay. I need X amount of money to keep to keep this place uh, uh, going. But then what do I want out of what, I, what my life is? And what do I want to be a, a father? And what do I want to be my legacy on this on this earth? And what do I, what do I, what gets me up in the morning? What makes me happy? And, yeah. and you can do that. And I think there's so many blokes that I know who 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 work dead end jobs, as they as they might even call it, yeah. do it for the money, but they're actually just really, really unhappy inside. And it's really hard to make that leap yeah. to the need leap. Um, but but I was lucky enough to do it. 
Yeah, and I, I completely relate to that. And I think it's like, a, I had a conversation with a friend of mine the other day. We were on a Zoom call, as you have been for the last year, catching up with friends. And, uh, you know, I've kind of been doing different things for quite a long time in terms of changing my direction and going through that need conversation. He's an insurance broker, like lives a very straightforward life in terms of he gets paid a decent salary, has a nice house, all those kind of things. His life's very simplistic. Once a month, he gets some money and that's kind of how it goes. And I've been there. That's what I did for a long time. But, you know, I've been out of that game for quite a long time. And, uh, you know, with, with Born Human, we kind of, you know, we just set that up at that point. It was kind of early early in its infancy. And uh, he turned around to me and he said, oh, but where's your green coming from? Where's your money coming from? And the thing is, like, you until you've been there, you can't really explain to someone that actually I'm working in a different way now. I'm finding ways to provide enough financial support for my family. And it doesn't matter where it comes from to me. I need to be creative with that and find other ways of doing it. But that involves looking after them. It involves looking after me, making sacrifices that I don't go on holiday in the same way as I used to. And they're things that that's my choice. It's not everyone's choice. It's not, you know, some people couldn't live without it. And that's cool. That's your choice. That's your need, effectively. Um, but, you know, it is really difficult to kind of change your mindset when society has kind of driven all of us to be like, you go to work, you earn money, that gives you a lifestyle. Be grateful. Mm. And it's like, I am grateful, kind of. But what about the bits? What about me? And what about kind of my kids? And what about our relationships? And if I'd stayed in banking and had kids, I wouldn't have seen my kids five days a week because I'd have been out before they got up in the morning and back by the time they'd gone to bed. And for a lot of people, that's the reality and that's okay. And it's not me judging in any way to say that anybody's shouldn't be doing, should or shouldn't be doing that. But for me, that wasn't right. For me, it was like, I want to be close to, closer to my kids and I want that time with them. I want them to know I was there, you know, and that's really tough. But um, it is interesting that it is a lot of it is down to there's courage in there. There's a lot of perspective in terms of and need in terms of whether you want to, you know. Yeah, it's. I mean, I I, I hold up. I I've got lots of lines in my life. I I hold up this line of, does it make me better, right? So does this thing that I do make me better? This conversation we're having here makes yeah. me better. Yeah. Spending some time with you makes me better. I agree. We've had a great conversation beforehand, and we've now got some of this on on tape and. Uh, but I and I have this thing. My relationship with my kids makes me better. My relationship with other people, like with other uh, certain members of my family and other members of my family who who I've I've removed because it didn't make me better. It was toxic, so I've had to remove it. Yeah. And it, and when I can actually hold a line up like that, I find it really easy to actually just to to make decisions on my life. Like I'll I might take a job like we've, we've made with. I might take a job that will be a money job. Because it may not be emotionally invested that I want to do. It may not be the, the thing that, that will change the world the way I want it to. But I might need money. Yeah. And that makes it better, right? Yeah. So I'll swallow it and I'll do it and I'll make this film or I'll do that. Because it make, because that line is at that moment that relieves the anxiety yeah. of money that week. But but quite a lot of the time we don't do this. We don't sort of we don't let ourselves um we don't let ourselves be selfish because we're, because selfish is seen as a sort of like a, like a like looking after yourself or you're 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 putting yourself before others and you go well 
if you're building, like I talk about building a house every day, like in your mental health, you build a house every day, right? And if your foundation's on, on there, you're going to topple. Yeah. Right? But every single day, that's what you do with, with, with your life. You, you, and some days you'll, you'll, you'll succeed and you'll smash it out of the park and you'll, 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 put the, you'll, you'll, you'll decorate inside all of the house, right? Yeah. That's, a, that, that's, that's how you do your, you do your lives. But, but, but if you haven't got those foundations, you can't do that. And, yeah. and to me, a lot of it is actually about trying to find who you are and what you're doing and like I've, 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 I, did, I did a talk in, in Oz um, a while ago and, and then I came back and I emceed this uh, this Crate Festival and I came back and I emceed the Crate Festival and this bloke came up to me and he goes I did it and I was like did what? and he goes you don't remember me do you? and I was like yes of course I do no I don't <laughs> and I go well we, we met three years ago and you, we had a great chat and he told me to quit my job and do that I said I, I didn't he yeah. goes, no you, you did you sort of see you said about just is this an insurance claim yeah, is yeah, that, yeah. Is that yeah. where we're going with this yeah. but no he sort of said like you 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 talked about like we we had a we had a conversation about because I because my, my 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 talk at that, that festival was actually about all to do with like uh following your curiosity don't follow your passions follow your curiosity follow what you want to do yeah right and um and being being true to yourself and that's what he did he did that and he sort of like and he, he goes that was there was all these turning moment, turning points in people's lives where you don't realise you're saying it and maybe it might be on this you know I mean like yeah. but you've got to me you've really really got to just grab hold of something and go okay I'm going to have I'm going to have the guts to do it because he's been sitting there Yeah. just have the guts to sort of go like okay this is going to take me forward this is going to make me a better person this is going to make me better and, yeah. and that's that's what i that's what i found i found that line really really helps me to decide whether i want to work with someone whether i want to sort of pursue something else does it make me better does it make the world a better place does it make everything seem seem to make more sense yeah because you can remove it because because Toxic people, toxic bosses, toxic people at work, toxic people in your family even, can drag you down. Yeah. And you go, oh, I don't need that. I don't need that. It's like the, the choices that you make. Like when you were talking about um, the lady that worked for you as a mum, like, you know, the reality is that she's, as you rightly pointed out, she's probably more productive for you in that environment because you're given her a choice. You're saying to her, how do we make this work? And the system historically has been set around a situation that says... I mean, they don't call it the rat race or nine to five for nothing. It's like a, that's a that's kind of a universally accepted fabric of society to some extent. And it's brilliant. You know, the world is changing definitely in a way that, you know, people don't function like that. COVID's accentuated all of that because yeah. people are working from home and all those kind of things. But what it's proving more and more and more is the fact that to be productive, to be a contributing member to a workplace doesn't mean i have to sacrifice my own life it doesn't mean i have to sacrifice who i am as a person i can deliver on both levels if you give me the flexibility to do that and in truth i guess that's how we should be focusing i mean that's certainly where born human came from for me was like this is the wrong way around we yeah. need to be thinking about if people are happy then they're productive they're creative there's so much more intense in terms of what they can give employers and as a result they get everyone wins well this is the thing these rules i mean like for example if i go to the gym in the morning i won't get out till 10 half 10 i'll come back here and now in my head i've got four hours i've only got four hours because i'm picking the kids up after right? yeah because because my, my wife's off doing a pgce and sort of like she's now in the school for three days a week and 
So I've got four hours. So it's not easy. Yeah. It's not easy to make those things. But that's a choice I've made to have kids. Yeah. And if we and if I wanted to put them into after school club or I wanted to do those things, then again, that's a choice that we've made. But what happens is it's about the flexibility and about what you do with that time. And and I think that there's lots of stuff where we when it comes to my under, my feeling when it comes to parenting and it comes to parenting and this relationship with with um, with work and with stuff like that. We play by the rules. The rules can change. We play by these rules. And my job is as a problem solver. This is a problem. Just try and solve it. Yeah. I mean, one of my favourite ones with was with um, in Sydney. We were in we were in Bondi, and um, uh, there was there was someone there that was setting up a morning after um, babysitting service. Now that is genius to me, <laughs> right? Because what happened? Where is, do I sign? Can exactly. I, I jump on a plane now. Well, exactly. It's sort of like going like, if, if please, someone set it up in uh, over here. Yeah, yeah. Right. But what was brilliant about it was that like any any parent any parent knows that the the um, the night is actually the night of babysitting is actually um, is a functional thing, right? Yeah. I need someone legally to look after my children so yeah. they don't die when I'm out, out yeah. right? So can you turn up at eight and stay till 12 because we're going to this thing and we don't want to miss out. Yeah. But the whole time you're there, you're in the back of your head going, I can't, one of us has got to stay soberish yeah. because we've got, we've, got to, we've got to pay the babysitter for a start <laughs> and we've got to make sure that sort of like that all works right. And then one of us, then that same person is getting up in the morning. Yeah. And, that, and that, like we've our three kids, we're sort of like, we're up at six, yeah. right? So, but what I need is I need that space between six and nine or six and ten. That's what I actually need the next morning. So someone get, I will pay proper top dollar for that, (laughs) right? And what they were doing was they would would turn up at your house at six in the morning. Yeah. Get the kids dressed, get them all sort of like, you leave all the kids, even if they're in pyjamas, chuck them out, take them to the park. Yeah. Take them around, get them all, go and buy them whatever they want or whatever, your decision. Come back to you with a bacon sarnie and a cup of coffee. (laughs) Then you go like, that to me, like, like you think how much you pay for babysitters per hour, and then you go, I'll I'll double that in the morning. Yeah, yeah. I'll double, that's danger money, I'll double that. (laughs) But that's that is solving a problem. Yeah. And to me, there was a problem there that that, that no one else was going for, but it was a problem that we were all feeling. And that's the same when it comes to sort of like the way that we, the way with ROE we looked with, with trying to work with with um, great talent who happened to be mums and couldn't have that time. And I think that's what we've had to do with COVID. But also, it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that we have to go back to the old way, and it yeah. doesn't mean the Zoom is the answer as well. Yeah, right. I, I think it's actually about like we need to be more respectful of each other, and we need to be able to work out how to how to work with each other instead of work against it, like this dictatorial sort of standing over you, logging your hours and stuff like that. Yeah. Right. Now, there's a great thing with Netflix, right? So there's there's a there's a book um, written by the HR. Uh, the head of HR at Netflix, and she sort of said they got rid of holidays, right? And I and I was like, okay, and um, because what they go, what they do is they actually found that holidays were um, were a problem with with they they became they became they created anxiety. Yeah, what they found was that people just need X amount of time to sort of like they want to go on holiday a couple of times once a, once a year, a couple of times a year for a for a thing, and they want to take a couple of days off here and there to. To um, um, uh, to go and see their kids play uh, play sport. Right? Yeah. So what they did was they got rid of it. You don't get you don't get twenty days a year. You get whatever you like. Yeah. Right. 
So it's your choice with your team, your responsibility, right? And you, and then what happens was when they can actually do that, you start taking. That's a cultural thing. You start taking that on, and you go, okay, I'm going to take this holiday because I need this holiday because I'm taking responsibility for myself, yeah. right? And I'm going to I'm going to take this time off. I'm going to take that time off. And if you're spending so much anxiety worrying about other people, yeah, then then you're going to be an idiot, and you're going to go like you're you're not going to take any time off, yeah. But that's your problem. That's your fault, yeah. right? And I had this with before with like I had I had like a, I remember a junior account handler who w- was working wasn't working into me directly but worked worked with me worked for me if you like but and she was sending me emails at eleven o'clock so I sat her down the next day and I, in the evening I sort of sat down I said okay something's not right here yeah right why are you sending emails at eleven o'clock right I like one if you think that impresses someone it doesn't right yeah. all that seems to me is that that you are you're over, either you're not coping because we've overloaded you, or you've got a wrong attitude in some ways. Why this thing? She thought I was. Oh, I thought I was doing the right thing. I go, no, 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 no. I don't want an email after six o'clock because that means you're not looking after yourself. Yeah. You haven't. Your time management's not there, right? And if your time management's not there, we need to look at that because as 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 an employer, we need to make sure that you are better with this. Yeah. And and that's what you see quite a lot of the time is that that there's very much. This, this, like in France, they ban the email after six, and it's sort of like, and I think that's what we should be doing. We yeah. should be sort of like looking at the way that way that our anxieties pass on to other people. Yeah. Like I, if I, and if I do send something after after six with some people I've been working with, I'll go. I don't want an answer on this until tomorrow. Yeah, yeah. Be very right? clear on them. Yeah, and I've said that. Like, yeah. do not open this till tomorrow morning. Yeah. Because that's a red rag to a ball sometimes, but it is also like you're you're stating your intentions yeah. to say you're probably someone's probably going to open it, but they don't feel the pressure yeah. to kind of respond to it or reply. But, it, right? but it's but it's also about how I how I as a manager need to be talking to that Setting person. Setting an example. Yeah, I, see, right? I go like this is the thing. I'm like I not or, or I might apologise. I might sort of say like I'm sorry I'm sending this so late. This is my issue. Yeah. Right. But but what happens is that we we've built this culture in this country where. We just work twenty four hours a day, and yeah. these 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 phones are the worst thing for it because because yeah. you can get me anytime, anywhere. And when clients are now working on WhatsApp, I'm like, what? Yeah, like I'm added to being added to WhatsApp groups. I'm like, no, that's personal thing. Yeah, yeah. I should sort of sits next to my wife, and my my friends, and my family. I yeah. don't want to. I don't want to be hearing about this. Yeah. But 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 I think it's but but again it's responsibility. You can turn those notifications off. Yeah. You don't have to look at your email. You uh, you if you set that rule with that that you don't have to do these things, then you start looking at you start looking at everything else. Like for example, simple tip tip: don't sleep with your phone next to you. Like buy an alarm clock. Maybe best best, of, best yeah. advice that I ever I was ever given: buy an alarm clock, because you, you buy an alarm clock. You leave your phone to charge downstairs. The alarm clock wakes you up. You don't look at your phone till nine o'clock or whatever. Yeah. Or or if you need to look at an email, but you're not the first thing you're picking up because you pick it up straight away and all your all your uh, sort of all the stress just seeps back into, yeah, into yeah. your body again. Yeah. So, but but we've got to take responsibility for it. Like the way that the way that I try and use my numbers and sort of like with with with, with Tool Club, I'm taking responsibility for it. I'm not letting the world happen to me. And if I sort of feel I'm unhappy with it with something, I'm going. Does it make me better? Yeah. And I'm going. Okay. No. No. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to work that way. I'm going to work this way. And I'm going to get the result you want. But I'm going to work this way. Do it my way. Well, it it, it has to be because we sort of like because because to me, my kids have got to come first, and my relationship with my family's got to come first. My wife, and then my, my relationship with myself has got to come there. Yeah. 
it's all relationships isn't mm. it that's the the crazy thing about it is that actually this is all about human interaction and how you deal with people and actually if we're all open to the fact if we're respectful enough of each other to know that life is complex and as long as we're choosing to be committed to work family friends those entities in their own right and we choose to be then actually that commitment like you were saying about the netflix thing it's like take the responsibility to look after yourself and it's about trust at some yeah. level where you say i trust you you got to trust to deliver yeah. i trust you to give me what you need and to be honest if you're not giving me you'll be the first one to judge yourself if you're not delivering what you want yeah. if i'm not saying if i'm saying to you take as much holiday as you want right? and, you've, and you've got to trust yourself and you go like like there's the famous one of of, of um whether it's true or not but but um Branson, sort of Richard Branson only works one week one week a month. He yeah. turns on for one week and then he turns off for three. Yeah. And you sort of go like and whether that's true or not, you go, I I love the idea of that because yeah. you take a responsibility. And what I do is I I I can work I work better and I work better at night. Yeah. I always have done, right? So sort of like, so so I'll I might start working on something at ten o'clock, I'm not finished till two, but 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 I've got I've got that as my I'm taking responsibility for what happens around the rest of the day. Yeah, yeah. You know and what it, that's going to do in the morning. Yeah, you know, yeah. You and manage it, it. And it can be, it can, it can make me better as a, as a, as a, as a parent because all I've got to do is I've got to do those moments. Yeah. Um. But I think that there's so much of that where you go, it is, it is a lot of responsibility for yourself, and it's a hard line responsibility. But, but you, like you, you've, you've got to, you've got to know what you, 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 you. you you can't let people dictate your life for you. For yeah, me. yeah. And it's really, really hard because when you get in a, when you're in a big business and, and money starts dictating it and mortgage repayments and sort of all these things. And as you say, the nice holidays, you go like, if you start bringing it back to what do you need versus what do you want and what makes you happy? Like, like to me, I'm happier now than I've ever been. Yeah, I earned more money when I was seventeen. Yeah, yeah. Sort of like so. So I know that those two, th- and I've and I've and I've been lucky enough to earn a, a good salary at one point in my yeah. life. So so I know that. So I, but it didn't make me any happier. Yeah. And so so we know, and I'm, and again, as you say, it's everyone's different. But but to me, it is very much about like, what what are those things that 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 make you who you are? What are those things that you want? You want to, um, like, there's a lot of things. When you earn lots of big money, you 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 burn out. Yeah. Right. So then, how do you make yourself sustainable? How do you sort of like we we talk about a lot with the environment sustainable, but human sustainability is what I work in now. Yeah. And how do you make yourself sustainable? How do you keep your you happy so you can make everyone else around you happy? Yeah. Yeah, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? And it's. Uh, and the responsibility ultimately lies with all of us to kind of rather than just being dictated to but taking that ownership and saying this is important to me these are the things in life that are important to me and how do I make them serve me how do I make that work in the environment that I operate in and if it if things need to change then things need to change not always the case you know plenty of flexibility that people can offer but it's finding that balance tell me a little bit i'm interested before we um, i'm conscious of time but we uh tell me a bit about our kids our lives and what you're doing with that yeah so so that's the next film uh, our kids our lives and we're looking at the mental health of of children and what what i found was that throughout the journey of steve um so steve so so people who haven't seen steve it's it's um it's about uh, my childhood best friend steve yates who took his own life and 
how how this is the biggest i mean the thing most likely to kill me is me right it's now the biggest killer of men under 50 a man dies every 90 minutes in this country right and so what i did in in steve was i looked at it as i i, I talked to his family and I, and uh, looked at my own journey but then most of the film is looking at solutions yeah most of the film is actually trying to make a positive impact and quite a lot of the film the way that documentaries are made um most documentaries are made up until quite recently is that they're doc they're they're, they're made by journalists who document the way the world looks at stuff so they'll hold a mirror up to it and they'll go last crap and you'll go last crap and by the end of it you'll go last crap and <laughs> call us marins right um so so what i needed to do was i needed to fill it with solutions and when I was when I was doing when I was going round uh, promoting the film or screening the film, I did like forty nine screenings like up and down the country and uh, trying to find male dominated places and pubs and sports clubs and like uh, we met in a in a sort of co working space, didn't yeah. we? But it was sort of like but but again it was run by a bloke called Jamie who was, was very into sort of uh, men looking after men, so it was all, so it was a very very great space and. Um, and what what I found was that um, when I was doing this, I was on a, I was on lots of panels. The idea was to sort of bring people, uh, bring people from local areas into into these, and they could talk about the great work they're doing. So that was the idea to sort of not just um, just almost like use use the Steve film as a as a Trojan horse, like to a sort catalyst, of get, yeah, to, to get to get male men talking and to sort of go look mind here or, and one of these chats was with Papyrus. And um, so Papyrus is a is a uh, a, uh, a youth uh, youth suicide prevention charity, and just listening to one of these women talking, uh, I was like floored. I was floored because, um, like in her her their, their statistics is that over two hundred school children take their own lives every year. Um, I've since found out that sort of seven um, percent of children under seventeen have attempted to take their own lives. Right, um, and you sort of when you look at these things, and we know what's happened over the past year, and this is even getting worse. So I sort of I remember coming out of that moment, of that coming out of that um, that talk, and walking back to to my travel lodge, and just feeling completely flat, completely completely empty, and going, I never want my kids to feel this way. Yeah. I never want anyone to sort of like and I I talked to I since talked to sort of lots of people who'd lost uh, parents uh, lost parents who lost kids to suicide and they're normal they're normal kids they're normal parents they're just like me and you mate yeah and um, and just things got confusing things got out of control and unfortunately these kids got uh, thought that the world would be better off without them so I decided to take that on. I said, okay, I'm going to make a Steve-like film, a problem-solving film. Uh, Steve was described as a change-imentary by a very kind journalist one time, mm. and that's why I try and make my films now. Yeah. So Our Kids, Our Lives is is like that. It's 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 looking at what's going on, why it's happening, but then also all these amazing things that we can do to 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 um, to help us. And one of my hopes is that I'll I'll use the the, the, the Talk Club network. We've got over two thousand men now. Where I'll try and empower fathers, and I'll try and empower brothers, and uh, and and uncles and granddads yeah. to sort of talk to, talk to their kids, talk to talk to teenagers, and talk to um, even school, uh, even primary school kids, and try and get them into the language of of opening up. Try and get them into sort of maybe even to the out of ten, and um, and make feelings more open. So yeah. that's the hope of the film. Um, 
as per usual, it's uh, um, it's a big thing, and didn't know didn't know whether I'll be able to do it. But um, so far, we've raised twelve grand. I need about another twelve to sort of make it. <laughs> um, uh, but we'll. Um, but I've 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 got great feelings, and we sort of like we did. I asked out like I asked a hundred parents to sort of do me videos. You did me a video, yeah, and sort of like about what's worrying them. And some of those responses are amazing. And you sort of you you go like inside that just the research from that and how open some people are and how worried some people are um, about. And these are many of these are friends of mine who I know are good people. Yeah. And um, so I know that this is this is almost like again this this silent killer. Um, it's like the it's the biggest killer of of young people. Suicide's the biggest killer of young people. Yeah. So you go and now coming out of what's happened with the pandemic, this is only going to go up unless we try and do something about it. Yeah. So that's what I'm trying to do. I'm going to just try and highlight all these great people doing great things. Yeah. Try to make the same sort of connection that we did with Steve with we we did with men. We're gonna try and do it with parents this time, yeah, and try and um, and just sort of try and sort of go look. Here's all the skills that you here the here the things that you can do as a parent, but also these things you can do as a as a, a as a kid. And we've got like I mean I've got this amazing interview with it with a young lady who, who I think she's fifteen or sixteen talking about her battle with um, anorexia for the past nine years. Yeah, uh, no seven years, no it's past seven years since she was nine. And it's just amazing. It's yeah. just like, like literally, I watched it and was crying. Yeah. And um, and I've got like poems from sort of uh, a young boy who we turned into an animation. Him talking about uh, it's called likes and sort of like social media and sort of the pressure he's done on that. Yeah. So I mean, so um, I start filming again in July. Cool. Yeah. I think it's amazing. I think when you talk about kind of following your passions and following the things that you're curious about. And kind of, would you have ever have, like, it's weird how the word kind of comes together, right? Mm. And and actually, when you put it into that context and explain it like that, you can see how Steve has driven a change, not just for men, but for kids and for raising awareness around it. And, and all that, trying to change the future, I suppose, and not just kind of deal with the problem as it stands. Because... You know, for our kids' generation, it's kind of they're going to have a totally different outlook on mental health, which is a great thing. But there's a bit of work to do. It feels to me in the interim, which is like the transition from a place that we were in about mental health to the place that we need to get to. And there'll be a generation or two in the middle that sort of sits there and goes, "I'm not sure which side of the fence I fall on." And something like this gives them a great outlet to kind of go, "Okay, well, it gives me perspective on a subject that isn't talked about." You yeah, know? I mean, the main thing that I've noticed with it. <laughs> No one wants to talk about kid suicide. Yeah. No one wants to say those words. I mean, I wrote a piece yesterday, child suicide. Those words should never appear together. Yeah. Right? And even just saying it now, you mean like it sends a shiver down my spine. It makes you feel uncomfortable. Yeah. We do. We don't want to talk about it. Yeah. Right? And, but it happens. It's happening. And there's thousands of parents who it's happened to. And, and what I, and also the, the, the other thing inside that is that, is that we, as parents, we, we pass so much pressure on ourselves that that eventually, whether we like it or not, goes on to our kids. Yeah. And now I think it's harder now to be a parent than it ever has been because we we got to do it this way. We've got to do it that way. We got you're a bad parent because you give them you they what they look at their phones or yeah. or you give them sugar or you sort of, and we judge 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 judge. And yeah. one thing that I was really wary of, and it's and it's come up 
a little bit already and I haven't really sort of as I say I've been we've all been in lockdown but came out of those videos was was very much this this feeling of um don't don't be judged as a parent where we sort of like we were I don't I'm not gonna I'm not criticizing anyone but I know that when when this thing comes out if someone's gonna go oh well don't do it like that I mean, yeah there's a there's a there's a TV program about the best parent. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. The comp- competition of strictness versus openness, right? Everyone's going to do it their own way. Yeah. But but for me, my goal with Steve was to save a thirty-eight-year-old man. My goal with this is to say to save a thirteen-year-old boy. Yeah. Right. Because boys, again, we think that there's so much more pressure on girls, and there is. Yeah. But boys are more likely to take their own lives. Yeah. So, how do I protect that boy? Right. How do I create that thing from when, maybe when they're from when they're eight, and hopefully they keep them going. But that 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 transitional period between when they go to secondary school is the biggest point apparently. Yeah. Right, from what I've my early research, but that and that manifests all the way through the sort of secondary school and girls with self harm and girls with, um, but but what we what we're doing is we're we're as a society is piling all this pressure on them and then we're going oh don't worry we, we can sort it out we can sort it out yeah but it's a lot of it is coming from parents yeah i mean like i had a great one which is sort of like we're saying that our phone's bad i, I talked to, talk to a head teacher our phone's bad and he's like well okay if you look at phone as a knife and i've got brilliant i love this already right <laughs> you look at phone as a knife in the right hand a knife can create amazing dinners right yeah. it can like put it in the right chef's hands it can create some amazing things and the wrong hand's a killer yeah. Right? That's all phones are in the right. Or, or you look at phones as, as junk food, right? Yeah. It's okay for it's okay for them to have McDonald's every now and again or some, something junky every now and again, right? Yeah. But if they're on it all the time, then they're, they're, if they're gonna eat junk food all the time, they're gonna be they're, it's gonna it's gonna muck them up. Yeah. So 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 just simple things like that when you can actually reframe because I'm all to me the way that I work is all about reframing yeah. like mental fitness or looking at it as junk food because we go like if you look at it as technology as junk, you go it's okay to have a little bit. It's okay to have those little bit of endorphins. Yeah. It's okay to sort of like feel that little bit of sugar and salt flying through your system, right? Yeah. But if you have it all the time, it'll muck you up. Yeah. And I think that that's what we do need to do as parents, not, not not sort of like, no, you can't ever have sugar or no, you can't ever have salt. Yeah. But actually use it in moderation. And those those to me, those are the, hopefully the things that will that type of stuff will be coming out of the film. Yeah, and I think that's incredible because you've got like a you know, you all, we both know certainly, and any parent knows that there is no right way of doing it. There is no such thing as a perfect parent, and yet social media and all those other outlets around us profess that there is. And I don't know, we're kind of sucked into that, but at the same time, it's difficult to avoid it in day-to-day life. But having the sort of self-assuredness to be like, no, 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 I'm doing what's right by my kids, and the only person I need to be accountable to for that is me at the end of the day, or me and my partner, and you know, to make sure that what we're doing for them is the best we can do by them, you know, and not be judged by other people. Um, I think it's amazing. I think it's incredible. I'm going to spring you with a question now at the end, which I think I'd like to get from all my guests, which is what one piece of advice would you give to either your younger self or to your kids now for when they get older? Oh, um, be yourself. It's an easy one. It's yeah. a simple one. But like, um, but I was saying that to, to, to my daughter this morning and I think that, I think it was the best bit, bit of advice that my mum ever gave to me was just be yourself like don't like I I spent a lot of time as a kid trying to 
trying to please other people, trying to be someone I wasn't, trying to sort of fit in, trying to do that. And what happens is if you can be yourself and know who yourself is, then you will, people will gravitate to you. Like yeah. my, my son, my, my kids are always different, but my son is very much himself mm. and people gravitate to him. And my, my eldest daughter is a beautiful human, but what she does, I can see her worrying too much about what people think. And it could be an yeah. age thing as well. But but also she worries so much. She always has been worried about so much about about the way that people react to it, react to her. And if she was just relaxed and be herself, then people gravitate to you. Yeah. And and I think when I could when I started doing that, when I was just being myself, when I when I started picking that up a lot more in my thirties and especially in my forties, I found life was so much easier. Yeah. And I wish I'd have done that earlier. Yeah. And um, I just spent so much time trying to go. Okay, I'll I'll be who you want me to be, like an ex, a, a previous partner, or or my work would want me to be this person, or like like. But as soon as I can actually just, as soon as I can put that line in that, and I'm gonna go, okay, I'm gonna be myself now. Yeah. Then then everything else just works around you. Yeah, yeah, things come to you in a weird yeah. kind of way, and it's having the faith that being authentically you is good enough. Like yeah. it doesn't, you don't need anything else. The world will find the right things that gravitate to you. Right? Yeah, I mean, like I'm I'm. I've always had a bit of girth. I'm never gonna. I'm never gonna be the the, the, the fittest man in the room. Yeah. And as soon as I accepted stuff like that, as soon as I accepted the the um that I'm not gonna be, I'm I'm not gonna be Brad Pitt when it comes to come to my physique. When I when I accepted <laughs> that there was all these things, when I would just let myself, when I'd let me me be me, be when I could be myself. Yeah. I was so much happier. Yeah. And um, and it's almost like it. I think what I find is like when I sort of say what well, we talk club about how are you out of 10 people go that's too easy it's too simple that yeah too simple structure like we need something a bit more complicated you can see their eyes I'm yeah, yeah I've got right. a 20 page questionnaire I'm yeah. dying for you to fill yeah. out yeah and I'm just sort of like and and when I say something like like, like those lines of like um, does it make you better or just be yourself people go oh, blah, blah, blah. I mean this is sort of something that sort of sits on a uh, sits on a um, an inspirational thing you buy yeah. and stick on the wall it's actually the fucking truth yeah because you can actually you interpret it but 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 it's very very hard to do it's very very hard to do you sort of like you you like like for example when you can find a partner who lets you be yourself yeah yeah like that's amazing yeah like my, 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 my my two previous um long-term partners would want me to wanted me to be someone else yeah and then when I met Claire, I was sort of like, finally, I could be myself. Somebody just loves you for you. It's yeah. like, it's an amazing feeling, right? Yeah. And actually it gives you this, you get this kind of sense of peace that is like, I don't need to like, I don't need to do anything other than just be me, which is a weird sensation. Yeah. And I think school and those kind of places are, are rife for kind of trying to drive you into places that you might not choose to be, but you sort of feel like you need to, survival means you yeah. need to fit in kind of thing. You look back on those people that was, the, the, those people that you went to school with who were allowed to be themselves, who had the confidence to be themselves. Yeah. And they are so much happier now. You know, yeah. You look back on them and you go, I know that person. Like was like a Rob Shelley. I'll give a big shout out to Rob Shelley, who was yeah. just be himself. He was himself when he was at school. And I have so much respect for the way that he dealt with himself. Yeah. And he's and I see him now. We caught up. We caught up like maybe uh, eighteen months ago before COVID. 
And I was so proud of who he is and who the way he is as a person. Yeah. And he's just always, as far as I've seen him, and he's probably can argue, sit here and argue that he's never, <laughs> he, he doesn't do that. But he's always just been himself. Yeah, yeah. You know what you're getting. Yeah, and, and I just and I was so, and I used to respect him so much for that. And I always yeah. like like look back at it, and even with Steve, Steve was very much himself. Yeah. He, was, he would sort of like he he would play. He he he, he wouldn't worry about other. Uh, other people's worries on certain things, and I think that thing came in a lot more when in 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 his teens and into his twenties. But when we first, one of the things I used to love about him was he was just himself. Yeah, and that's a beautiful thing. And I think that's an incredible way to kind of end this and kind of give people something to take away from it. It's pretty simple, and I think a lot of the messages that have come out of all the work you've done are simple yet really effective. And there's lots of people that are benefiting from them. So. I appreciate your time. Thanks for Thank coming you so on. Much, it's been mate. a real pleasure to have you on. I'll post links and share and widely. And if anyone out there's got twelve grand, they want to throw out our kids our lives. We'll try and get that out there as well. I'll just, I'll just like, I just want a grand off. I want a corporate sponsorship from a grand from each twelve companies. Okay. All, so. all right. So twelve companies out there. There's a challenge. We'll try and find them. Thanks for your time, Ben. It's been really great to have you on. Mate, thanks. Thanks, mate. it that's it for this week's born human podcast i cannot tell you how much i enjoyed that conversation ben someone who i came to meet completely spontaneously when i caught wind of the fact that steve was being shown in bath through social media or somewhere um, a few years ago and spontaneity wasn't something i did then because i had a two-year-old and who has the time to do anything spontaneously then but i'm so glad i did and i had the opportunity to meet him and he's become a great friend and a great connection over the years I have so much respect for everything he's achieved with Talk Club, with Steve, and now moving on to our kids, our lives, and what that is going to do for our kids' generation. And I think for me, when I conceived the idea of this podcast and about exploring people's journeys and talking to inspirational people, he really meets that brief in that he's someone who gets on with trying to make change for the better of our community and our society, and he really lives and breathes that whole ethos. And I think for me, that's a real thing to behold. If you've been affected by any of the issues in this podcast, then please check out the show notes and we have some links. If you're also keen to support the work that he's doing with our kids, our lives, there is a crowdfunder running and I will happily share details of that on there as well. So if you can spare a few pennies, I know it'd be grateful. Thank you to you for joining us this week and to Ben for taking the time to share his journey with us today. And I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. So I'll see you at the next Born Human podcast.